This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting that amidst wrangling over abortion, redistricting, and the budget, Florida legislators are making sure they get their just desserts. And I think it's very good legislation. (laughs) A little something that's very, very good for all of us to enjoy. Senator Burgess will explain the reasoning of this very good bill. And perhaps getting this passed will be a piece of cake. Oh, he stole half my puns. We'll have most of the dad jokes over the debate on naming strawberry shortcake, the state's official dessert, a little later. We'll also explain why Palm Beach TV watchers are seeing campaign ads for a gubernatorial candidate in Nevada. And we're going to take an in-depth look at a pre-session tragedy involving road rage, guns, and the Legislative Affairs Director of the Florida Board of Administration. But first, to check on some legislation that's starting to move through the legislature. The Senate Rules Committee advanced SB 254 that would require any future emergency lockdown or shutdown orders to apply equally across businesses and religious institutions. Basically, the bill would make religious institutions essential businesses under shutdown orders. It did not pass unanimously, though. Senator Bobby Hall of West Palm had some objections. In the midst of the pandemic, um, I know there were the number of people and number of institutions, and I'm as religious as anyone else. Um, And my membership, my church, you know, we took hiatus and went online. But there were a number of times that uh, religious institutions decided to gather, and the result of that caused many people their lives. With that being said, we as stewards of the state, we do have a responsibility to always kind of move the state forward. In, in essence, a religious institution being within the state of Florida, us authorizing them to buck the system while uh, ignoring emergency orders is not what I think we're here to do. And in that case, unfortunately, um, I see this was unanimous in the last committee. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to support it today, and I don't think I'll be able to support it at all. A 14-month extension of COVID liability protection for hospitals and long-term care facilities made it out of committee, too. Plenty of support from the medical industry, but some emotional testimony from Jennifer Barusa, whose brother died in a hospital. Uh, when I heard last night that extending, extending COVID-19 liability protection for health care facilities was being voted on to continue for another year, my heart sank, and I said they're going to kill so many more people because the reality of what is happening in hospitals right now is just that. Patients' rights no longer exist if they are diagnosed with COVID. Hospitals are following ill-advised protocols, not treating patients as individuals, lying to families, and having unskilled staff perform highly skilled procedures such as ventilating people. I know this from experience. The hospitals and doctors ignored the fact that my brother was having adverse reactions to medications, wrongly ventilated him, and he ultimately died due to medical staff error. Attorney Stephen Kane of the Florida Justice Association spoke in opposition of the extension, too. You just heard real-world consequences of the actions you took uh, last session to immunize hospitals and health care providers um, uh, for COVID-related claims. Her brother, and I, I just met her last night. Um, some of you have probably already spoken with her, but her brother um, didn't die because of COVID and did not die with COVID but I can't bring her claim. That's the reality. At the time of his death, 
It had nothing to do with COVID. Supporters of the extension argue that pursuing civil liability cases is still an option. Casting a bit of a pall over the start of this legislative session was the death of the Legislative Affairs Director of the State Board of Administration, John Kozwanski. He died January 6th. He was shot and killed in a Tallahassee gas station parking lot in what appears to be a road rage incident. And Florida politics reporter Tristan Wood tells Sunrise that it looks like Kozwanski was the one raging. I saw the, the day that it happened. Uh, last week, uh, I saw, you know, just unnamed, unnamed shootout just to, and it, it really piqued my interest, you know, a shootout in a gas station parking lot. Uh, but then, you know, uh, it's not really my, my usual coverage. I don't normally cover crime stories. But uh, then suddenly uh, over the weekend, uh, Peter Sorich, uh, the publisher of Florida Politics, reached out to me and he told me that uh, some of the sources he had had identified the individual as a uh, John Kozwanski, the legislative director for the State Board of Administration. Uh, I didn't know much about, about him, so I, uh, uh, you know, typed his name into Google and saw that he, you know, is a longtime uh, political communications person here in Tallahassee, uh, working uh, in Tallahassee since the 90s. Uh, so uh, it, it was quite a shock to me to hear that because usually uh, shootouts usually don't happen with uh, st- uh, state officials in uh gas station parking lots. It's a really uh, interesting story. Interesting and and tragic. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So it it took a little while to finally ID him. And then after that, more details of the story uh, break. But let's talk about the incident itself, because you're right. When I saw that story about a shootout in a parking lot, uh, apparently road rage, I thought, man, you know, these are scary times. And then your story pops up and with who it is. And I'm going, wow, what at this point do we know happened? So uh, the, the Leon County Sheriff's Office have not released uh, their official report on what has happened at that point. They've at this point, they've confirmed that uh, John uh, is the deceased and that they originally took someone into custody for the shootout. But. The person has since been released. However, uh, uh, numerous uh, sources that uh, we have spoken to uh, basically said that uh, uh, Mr. Kozwanski caused the accident. Uh, our sources say that uh, his BMW uh, drifted out uh, out of its lane on heading north on Thomasville Road, uh, where it hit a, another white Prius. Uh, the cars pull into the parking lot. Uh, the driver of uh, uh, the Prius begins talking to Kozwanski about hitting him gets back into his car, at which point our sources say that uh, John begins uh, ramming the Prius uh, with his BMW and begins to start shooting at the at the at the car. At which point the driver of the Prius uh, uh, returns fire, uh, killing Kozwanski. Really uh, bizarre incident uh, made even more uh, bizarre that uh, the intersection where. Uh, the uh, where the accident originally occurred at Bannersman Road and Thomasville Road. In 2014, Kozwanski actually was uh, arrested and charged for an, a separate road rage incident where he, uh, according to uh, the probable cause affidavit uh, by the police in 2014, they were just, uh, deputies were dispatched after a driver called to report that Kozwanski pointed a, a small black 
uh, colored handgun with a mounted laser at him uh, when he was stopped at an inter- at the, that same intersection where uh, eight years later this accident took place and this uh, tragedy occurred. And, and that was the incident where they uh, they tracked him down and he had this the gun as described in his possession, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So at that point, you know, the deputies receive the call uh, from someone that at some point a gun at them. That they answer, go to the vehicle that matched the description, and uh, sitting right in the car is the gun that matched the description. So now he, uh, he was uh, charged, and what happened? Uh, so he was charged, and uh, he pled no contest. Uh, at which point, uh, uh, he was put on probation, and up until 2018, uh, he wasn't allowed to possess uh, firearms. Uh, but uh, since 2018, he completed the terms of his probation. So uh, after that, he was able to possess a firearm. So s- same general intersection. This must be. This is this is his neighborhood, isn't it? Oh yes, it's about. Uh, it was about two miles from his house. Uh, so uh, in uh, after uh, uh, my publisher uh, made a post announcing that he was the one who was killed in the accident. Kozlowski's uh, wife actually. Uh, message uh responded in below that original tweet uh saying that uh at the time he was on his way home uh, to pick up a feral dinner for his daughter and and he uh talked to his wife on the phone uh right before the incident occurred uh, saying that he was on his way home early from work to beat traffic so while it's still up in the air exactly what happened and we are waiting on the on the final uh the final police report to confirm exactly what happened uh, it's a, it's a tragic case, nonetheless, where you know a wife and two kids are left without a father. So it it, it really is a tragic uh, case. Well, and it shakes you up even more because it's impossible not to make the mental connection between the prior incident of road rage in that neighborhood. It's it, it's apparent mm-hmm. road rage, mm-hmm. and then this incident. I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you have the the road rage incident in 2014. You also have the fact that Leon County Sheriff's Office, you know, originally took someone into custody for the shooting, but has since released him and, are, and currently aren't planning on pressing charges. So uh, those two facts definitely uh, m- make it look like uh, John wasn't just a, vi- a victim in this incident. But uh, regardless of that, st- it's still very tragic that someone lost their life. This story kind of was all over the place in social media when uh, you broke it. Uh, you getting any reaction? Obviously, there were plenty of people who knew him in the state capitol. Shock, uh, dismay. That's my first reaction. Uh, there's been two uh, main avenues of response. I've seen just uh, uh, scrolling through social media and through uh, various coverage and comments on this story, uh, largely from people that uh, knew him. Uh, Dennis uh, Mackey uh, spoke on behalf of the State Board Administration, worked with him, was a friend, uh, said he was quiet, and everything he, everything in his world uh, was about his family. Uh, uh, comments from his wife, she's very dismayed. But then you see, uh, since it's getting, the story has gotten national, and in some cases international attention, uh, you see a lot of people bombarding uh, the deceased's uh, Twitter account, uh, making comments saying that uh, he got basically that he got what he deserved mm. and that uh, uh, t- uh, making it basically into a political issue about uh, Florida's uh, 
uh, gun laws, you know, making another Florida man story and really uh, bombarding his Twitter account as well as well as his wife's Twitter account. Oh, uh, yeah, that's just uh, it's really it's really awful. Uh, the his wife said that the family needed time to, to grieve and time to have privacy. Meanwhile, you have people that don't uh, that uh, really don't know the person that died, don't know with 100% certainty the set of of uh, cir- uh, the set of facts here and they're trying to turn it into a larger uh, statewide political issue. Yeah, somewhere and, da- somewhere down the line you could have that discussion, but I don't know about you Tristan, but when I see this story, and here's a guy and I I saw the the quotes from people who knew him say he was quiet, it was all about his family, and then there's this thing in the back. We all have a blind spot. If you don't look at those blind spots, they can end up bringing you nothing but pain. That's what I think. I don't think I haven't thought about, you know, gun laws. You know, I'm sure that plays into something somewhere down the line. But at this moment, that's what I think. I don't know. What about you? I definitely uh, uh, I, I can see how people want to bring it to that level of conversation. You have a you know a state employee uh, that you. Know, that uh, dies in a shooting that very, very well seems like he played a very uh, large part in having it occur. So I can understand making that, but at this point, uh, I, I really think that attention and uh, delicacy to the family uh, that survives him is the most important thing. And bombarding them specifically with... Uh, criticisms of uh, his previous political beliefs and things like that is going to do nothing to make this situation better for anybody. Absolutely. Uh, this has been quite quite the story and a, a very sad and tragic one in my mind. And I've, uh, I'm sure there's still a couple other shoes to drop on this one. And uh, I'll be continuing to follow it. So when they drop, you'll hear about it. Tristan Wood, I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thank you very much. You know what could lighten things up a little bit? Some strawberry shortcake, which looks like it's on its way to becoming Florida's official dessert, at least judging by the number of Senate Agriculture Committee members who said they were sporting strawberry socks when sponsor Danny Burgess rose to explain the bill. Senate Bill 1006, uh, what we affectionately call Operation Dessert Storm. Um <laughs> will designate the strawberry shortcake as the official state dessert for the state of Florida, folks. Absolutely the sweetest bill you're going to hear all session. Uh, Possibly the sweetest issue we've taken on since designating the uh, key lime pie as our official state pie. We love our key lime pie. This has nothing to do with that. That's why we want to make sure that we, you know, Florida's large enough. It's a large enough state, in our opinion, to have both a dessert and a pie at the same time. During the initial introduction of the shortcake bill, both representatives and senators wondered aloud about, well, where's my strawberry shortcake? Burgess promised samples before sessions end. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The House Health and Human Services Committee will consider a proposed committee bill to extend COVID-19 liability protections. The Education Estimating Conference will talk about pre-K through 12 enrollment when it meets today. And the Revenue Estimating Conference will analyze the potential fiscal impacts of proposed legislation when it meets this afternoon. And finally, Palm Beach TV watchers must be scratching their heads when they see an ad for a Republican running for governor of Nevada. 
Well, Michelle Fiore is only interested in reaching an audience of one. Sometime area resident Donald Trump. I spent my whole life fighting the establishment. I was the first female majority leader in the Nevada Assembly and one of the first electeds to endorse Donald J. Trump. And you better believe I was attacked for it. Washington Post called me a gun-toting calendar girl. And Politico Magazine said that I was the Lady Trump. And I don't care. Fiore doesn't just mention her support of Donald Trump. She's also seen driving through the desert in a pickup truck with a Trump 2024 sticker on the tailgate. The audio doesn't do this ad justice. Ms. Fiore sports a tight red dress, packs a sidearm, and shoots some beer bottles. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again Monday as we do another daily dive into Florida politics. 